Well, it is our third week of Advent, and with that, we're focusing in on the joy that that Christ brings into our lives and in the world. And and I want us to get specific with with what we mean when we talk about the joy that Christ brings. And it's not that when we place our faith in Christ, then then we're like guaranteed a life of happiness, like from, you know, know, happily ever after, or, you know, never have a bad day again, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about like when you place your faith in Jesus, then suddenly you're going to get the car, the job, the relationships, the level of fitness that you want because like you're experiencing divine favor. No, that's, that's false gospel. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. Scripture promises us that actually that, that uh, in this world we're going to have trouble. There's difficulty. There's hardship. There's suffering. And so what is, it, what is the joy that we're speaking of when we talk about the joy that we have from Christ's birth? And what we celebrate, is the, the joy that Christ brings with his birth, with his advent, is, is that with his birth, it is a future promise of a great and grand reversal of all that is broken, of all that is unjust, of all that is sinful, of all that is sad. It is the great reversal of all that on both a personal level and an eternal and epic scale. Right? Does, how's that for a definition? Like That's what we're celebrating, that with Christ, with his birth, it's a guarantee that one day everything that's sad will become untrue. Right? When, he, when he's born, it ushers in a hope that's not wishful thinking like, man, this would be great if this would one day come true. But no, it's a hope that's based on the past faithfulness of God. It's a hope that is based on the past faithfulness of God, and it's equally, equally based on the future certainties of the works of God. God's been faithful to his promises time and time and time again, and when he sends his son, he's faithful to that promise as well. And with that, now with the sending of his son, he's fulfilled another promise, which gives us even further confidence that again, one day, Once and for all, everything that is sad will become untrue. What is broken will be mended. What is lost will be found. And that is a hope, that is a joy that we have when we place our faith in Christ and the redemption that he brings. That's the type of joy that we're speaking of when we talk about the joy that Christ brings into this world. It is a joy brought about by the future certainty of this grand reversal that God is ushering in. And that's actually the joy that Mary is expressing when she wrote her song, a part of which we read, uh, we, we heard earlier in our Advent reading. And I want us to take a deeper dive in it. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 45 through 55. This is known as Mary's Magnificat. And I, I just want to say it because I know some of you are very time conscientious and you're like, Hatterman, you just started and our services are normally over at 1130. And uh, what's this going to be like? It's, it's going to be a little bit of an abbreviated sermon. I'm, just, I'm shooting to still kind of honor the time. So uh, some of you are like, man, just take all the time that you want. But I'm the guy that will be watching the clock and be like, how long are we going to be here? So let me answer that question. Now everybody can focus. Fair? Or did I just distract everybody? All right, hopefully you're at, my, uh, the whole purpose of that was to get you to Luke 1. So hopefully you're at Luke 1, 45 through 55, Mary's Magnificat. Magnificat is uh, Latin for the word glorifies, which is what Mary is doing here. She is glorifying the Lord. She is worshiping the Lord uh, for who he is and doing that through this hymn of praise. Now, one thing I want to draw your attention to in this, uh, in this psalm of praise that she's given us, she's going to first glorify the Lord for how he's worked in her life. Then she's going to worship the Lord for what he's done and how he will work in the lives of those who believe in him. And then it's going to end with her glorifying the Lord for what he has done and what he will do on behalf of the nation of Israel. So there's kind of three different um, focuses. There's three different emphasis throughout the psalm. First her, then all who believe, then the nation of Israel. So you'll kind of see that, um, that transition as we go throughout the text. But know this, when she worships the Lord, she's worshiping for who he is and his great work. And that's what leads her to joy. Like, that's her reason to sing. 
because as we heard in the Advent uh, time, that, you know, her circumstances don't exactly lend themselves to joy. It's been 400 years of silence since the last prophet of God. Rome is in control, which means, you know, the Jewish people, they continue to be oppressed and victimized with those who have more power, those who have more might. They are suffering in an unjust way. She's just been told she's pregnant without a husband, and in this culture, that could mean that she would be stoned. All right, that, that, that she would be judged and, 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 you know, executed in that way. So not necessarily happy news that she hears this. Like, that's almost terrifying news. Like, how's my community going to react to this? But, so not a recipe for joy at all. But she hears this pronouncement from the angel. She hears what the Lord is doing. She trusts in the Lord. And it leads her to glorify the Lord and her spirit rejoices. Let's look at the text. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So right there, you can already hear traces of this grand reversal that's going to happen. Because in it, she's, she's rejoicing in God, my Savior. She's aware of her sin. She's aware of her need. Like she needs a Savior just as much as anybody else. And she's like, he's come. He's here. She doesn't have to be held captive to sin or, or, or that anymore. She's rejoicing in God, her Savior. There's going to be a reverse for her sin, a forgiveness of her sin. She also knows that God's been mindful of her humble state. And, and she's blessed her and lifted her up, again, because of what God has done on her behalf. So there's a reversal of fortune for Mary in, in, in and through this psalm. And she's, recognized, she's recognizing this reverse that's happening in her own life. Now, be mindful of this, though. She's not exactly going to experience a reversal of, for, you know, you hear that and you think like, you know, hap, you know health, wealth, prosperity type deal. Like that's not going to happen for Mary, right? Like she, her life, she's going to watch her son grow and be the man that's misunderstood, be the man that's, that's gossiped about, be the, be the man that's arrested, beaten, mocked, crucified. So she's going to watch her son be murdered in front of her very eyes. I don't think anyone would, would hear that and think, man, that's someone who's blessed. But no, here, Mary hears this, this pronouncement from the angel, sees the plan of God, and realizes it's God's mercy that he's chosen to use her in this grand redemptive act that is unfolding. And because of that, she's blessed. Because of that, she glorifies the Lord for what he's done on her behalf and how, she's, how he's using her in this great redemptive work that he's doing. Now it pivots from here. Here comes our first turn. Mary goes from how God's worked in her life to now how God blesses those who believe in him. And when she makes this change, I want to draw your attention to, to three things. She's going to praise the Lord for three different aspects of his character. And these, these, these are, are, are pitiful for us because they, these, these three aspects of God are really what lead us into joy. As these three aspects of his character are ultimately what brings about uh, the great reversal. She glorifies the Lord for his might for his holiness, and for his mercy. Let's look at it. Uh, we'll grab the back end of 48 again and, and go through 51. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him, to so those who believe in him, for generation to generation. So she brings these three aspects to the forefront. She starts with, she says, the mighty one has done great things for me. She's celebrating the power of God. She's recognizing he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, all right? So he is the sovereign, most high, almighty God. That's why she's worshiping 
the Lord. Now, he wouldn't be God if he wasn't these things, right? If he wasn't all-powerful, he wasn't almighty, he wouldn't be the Lord. He wouldn't be worthy of this praise, but he is. He's almighty and he's all-powerful. Now, we hear this in church setting and we just automatically, like, assume the best in this. But we do need to ask the question, is this a good thing? Is this a good thing that God is almighty, that he is all-powerful? Because if, if, if he ever had a bad day, right, if he was ever ever thought one day that he would be selfish or that he'd be self-centered or if he was ever evil this would be very bad for us because we would have no ability to stand before him we'd have no ability to hold that power in check so is this a good thing that he's the mighty one that he is all-powerful that he is this sovereign well is this a good thing well he's holy he's righteous He's, there's no sin in him. There's no chance he's going to wake up and have a bad day because he's sinless. He's without, he, he's, he's without evil. Like There's no selfishness in him. He's mighty and he's all-powerful, but holy is his name. We can trust him with that power. We can trust him with that might. And so in that way, like we should you know, breathe a sigh of relief. It's like, okay, all right, he's, he's all-powerful, and we can trust him with that power. And so on one hand, um, that brings relief. But then there's another question that comes up with, okay, well, if God is holy and sinless and perfect, then what chance do we have to stand before him? Because we're sinful and we're fallen and we're jacked up and I know how much I wound those in my love and I know how many times I run afoul of his word. So like, we, we can't be in his presence if he's that holy and if he's that powerful, but he's also a God of mercy. He's also a God of mercy. There's grace given to those who believe in him and revere him as such. Revere him as being all-powerful. He is the most high. He, has, he is the most authoritative in my life. And he is holy and he is righteous. And so we recognize those things about him. But we also know that he is a God who is gracious and merciful. And so what you see in this then is God has the power to save those who've sinned against his holiness. And his mercy leads him to do such a thing. And, the, and, and Mary is praising the Lord for all these aspects uh, of the Lord, for his might, for his power, for his holiness, and for his mercy. And what's happening in all that is a great reversal of your sin and my sin. We've sinned against his holiness. We, we've sinned against his righteousness. He has the power to judge us, but he also has the power to redeem us, and his mercy leads us to do such a thing. Not only does this happen in regards to our personal sin when we place our faith in him, but this redemption also happens It'll impact like the collective sins of humanity by undoing all that is unjust and broken, fallen power structures and, 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 and systems of power in this world. Um, I, just, I, I think Mary's words will help illustrate this a bit more. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Okay, remember, the Jewish people know what it's like to be hungry. They know what it's like to be victims and abuses of power, to be preyed upon by the rich and the uh, affluent who are sinfully using that for their own ends and their own purposes. Mary here is using, Mary, Mary here is rejoicing in the fact, not using, she's rejoicing in the fact that she knows Right, she knows now with the birth of her son that humanity is going to be delivered from such evil practices. That humanity is going to be delivered from such evil vices. And so she's already celebrating this work that God is going to do in the future. She's celebrating it now. Um, the, the, the English tense doesn't, or the English 
ver- I can't use English right now. <laughs> the the, the uh, English, what am I trying to say? The, the, when we read it like this, the verb tense doesn't quite grasp the verb tense of the original language. Um, but, but what's happening here is Mary is speaking about what her child, the Son of God, will do. But she's speaking as though it's already happened. And, 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 and so when we read it, it reads of, of past tense. But again, just here, like she is expressing joy from future certainties. This is what God is going to do. This is how God is going to act. She's expressing joy from future certainties of this grand reversal. But remember, she's still in the midst of her hardship. She's in the midst of difficulty, broken circumstances, but she knows they're not going to last. They're not going to last. She knows that they're going to be defeated, that they're going to be undone, and that this truly is good news and great joy for all people. And then she, she ends this hymn of praise by, by connecting once again to the promises that God had made to her people. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So she, she remembers the promises that God had made to Israel, where God had said that he would promise to bless them, to in turn for Israel to be a blessing to the nations. And she's realizing now with the birth of her son, that with the birth of God's son, that this is going to come to fruition. Israel is blessed because the Messiah is coming through them, and now the Messiah is going to bless the nations. And so it's giving her even more joy because she's seeing God's faithfulness, and it's more joy and more hope and more trust and the future certainties that God is going to bring about. But again, like her, her circumstances are not joyful, right? She's in the shadow of a corrupt and evil empire. Uh, she's th- that, that is uh, oppressing her own people. Her own people, when they find out that she's pregnant out of wedlock, they might choose to judge her and, and stone her again for being pregnant. Yet she hears this news and her soul glorifies the Lord. Why? Because she is anchored to the might of God, the holiness of God, and the mercies of God to bring about this grand reversal of all that is broken within our own soul and all that is broken within the world around her. And it is the joy of Christmas for her. What was true 2,000 years ago about the Lord is still true today. And it is the joy of Christmas for us as well. And so here's the deal. I don't know what circumstances you brought into this room. Maybe you find yourself being the the victim of someone else's sin. Maybe you find yourself being the one that's been um, just mistreated and and someone has sinned against you. Or maybe this morning you're seeing where you've been the ones who've sinned against your loved ones. Where you've been the ones to to, to sin against the Lord. And look, when we do that, we we bring ourselves into conflict uh, with those around us. We bring ourselves into conflict with a holy and, and powerful God. And those things can and really should be a source of heartache and grief for us. And that we've sinned against those that we love. We've sinned against those who love us, and we've sinned against the one who loves us supremely. Yet in that setting, our hope, our trust is in his mercy, it's in his holiness, and it's in his might that he has the power through his sacrificial work on the cross to save us from our sins. Right? That's the grand reversal in our own heart, in our own life, in our own soul, that he takes our sins away from us. And when our sins are taken away from us, we are brought from death to life. And now God views us. He views us as holy and righteous and sinful. And so that's how God views his children, whom he's saved, whom he's redeemed. So now when we go and and, and we sin again, because we're still fallen, and it's going to happen when we sin again, we can see that. And so this is against my nature. 
this is not who I'm created to be. This is not who I'm redeemed to be. So I can confess my sin. I can repent of my sin. I can turn from my sin. And I can also know that even in the midst of this confession and repentance and turning, that all is not lost, that, that God's not done with me. Yes, he's holy, and yes, he's powerful, but he's a God full of mercy and grace. And so even in this failure, I'm still held by his grace, and that is cause for joy. That I'm, we don't stay in conflict with the Lord because of what he's done. He's, meant, he's brought about peace and hope and love and now joy in that relationship with him. And, and knowing that grace we've been given, then yes, that influences when we break the peace in our relationships with others. We want to give grace to them to, to forgive those that have maybe wronged us, don't deserve that grace and forgiveness because we want to be uh, people that bring peace in that situation. Or if we've wronged someone else, then we want to take that hard first step to go confess and see what we can do to restore that relationship as well. And these are all actions that are anchored in and rooted in Christ, his love, his grace, the holiness, the power, and the mercy of the Lord. It happens on a personal level, and yes, absolutely, it happens when we see the brokenness in this world, whether it's your pick, right? Abuses of power, racism, classism, um, unaddressed suffering, I have like a whole list, but the brokenness that you see in this world, right? Like we see that, we see that and we lament it, we mourn for it, we're grief-stricken that is here, but as followers of Christ and, and people who trust in the grand reversal that is happening, we see all those things and we don't give ourselves over to despair thinking that they will always be the case. No, we take joy in the fact that one day, completely, uh, they, they will be completely and utterly reversed, completely undone. So we have that joy, but then we also take up our role to put ourselves uh, to, put ourselves to work as agents of reconciliation in the work that God is doing in the here and now. And so you see, it's in that way where our joy over who Christ is and what he's done and the grand reversal that he's bringing into this world, it not only fuels our hope about what one day will be, it fuels our hope here and now. Hey, all this brokenness, it's on the clock. And he has redeemed his people and placed his people and called his people to join in the redeeming work that he is doing in this world. There will be dark nights. There will be expressions of brokenness along the way, but our souls are rooted in and anchored to the ultimate joy that we have in Christ, the great Redeemer. When he was born, it was the guarantee that all of this one day will come to fruition. And that is the joy of Christmas. And I pray you know it. I pray you know it, and I pray you believe in that. I pray that you know the joy that has come to us in the person of Christ and the great reversal he initiated and he is bringing to completion in this world. It is a future certainty that can give you joy and hope now amidst your trials and amidst your circumstances. And when you know that, then I pray that your prayer and my prayer would match that of Mary's and that our soul glorifies the Lord and our spirit rejoices in God, our Savior. Let me pray for us. God, we love you, and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you um, that, you are a, that you are a mighty God, that you are a holy God, and that you are a merciful God. And because of that, Lord, you bring about the reversal of sin in our own life, God. You take its consequence away, and you grant to us 
uh, forgiveness and righteousness and a place in your family. And God, we thank you for that reversal. God, we thank you for the reversal that's going to happen to the brokenness in this world, that it, it too is on borrowed time. So that God, this Christmas season, not only do we celebrate your birth and your first coming, God, we are also mindful of when you will return and express the fullness of your kingdom and everything that's sad will be undone. Everything that is broken will be mended. Everything that is lost will be found. And God, when we place our hope and our faith and our trust in you, we will know and experience the joy of this great redemption. So God, help us, help us, help us to have the prayer of Mary that in you we glorify, uh, that in you our, our spirit rejoices, in you uh, our, our soul finds a reason to worship. God, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray.